Welcome to The Jig Is Up. My name is Darcy, and this week we have a special episode for you. And it's an episode uh, of a conversation we had in our community here in Calgary. And it brought together a bunch of people from different backgrounds, uh, First Nations of different backgrounds, Eastern and Western Métis, um, and uh, we had a 60, 60 Scoop Survivor. And so it was a really good conversation. And we were able to really um, kind of talk about everybody's viewpoint on you know internalized racism and identity and and the path we're on to try to reconnect with who we are. And it's really a, a conversation about that journey that we're all on. And we did it more like a sharing circle where everybody got to, to say their, their what they wanted. And uh, it's a little bit of a longer podcast than normal. It's an hour and 45 minutes, roughly. I encourage you, though, to stick with it and, and to listen to the whole thing, simply because I think there's a lot of things in this conversation that really struck a nerve with me, struck a chord with me. And I hope that you guys can get that same uh, feeling out of it. I hope that it's something that you guys can get something out of and maybe take with you as you travel throughout your days, uh, doing your, your daily activities, and just get that little bit of inspiration or a little bit of strength or a little bit of encouragement from the things that were said in this conversation. And uh, I know for me personally, I got a lot of inspiration and a little bit of healing out of this Um and it helps to kind of, sometimes you have a little bit of self-doubt. Sometimes you're not sure what, you know, am, am I going crazy? Is this, you know, am I really doing what I should be doing? And and I think we need that inspiration once in a while. And that's what this conversation was for me. So uh, I really hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you get as much out of it as I did. And I hope you get, to, you know, some laughs out of it. And, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Welcome everybody to the Jigs Up, and tonight we're doing a conversation on internalized racism and things like that. So I want to turn it over to Michelle Robinson to do to start kick us off. Great. Well, I want to welcome Darcy from the Jig Is Up first and foremost. Um, I want to thank Edney for doing a wonderful prayer for us to start us off in a good way. Um, I always have tobacco with us, so if at any point in time you feel like you, you want to hold tobacco, you're welcome to hold some. There's a, a pouch there. And what I do is I have a cloth, and I collect all of the tobacco, and I give it back to the earth at the end. Um, because we've already done our smudge, you know, it's just that added bit in case anybody needs anything just to help them through. Any negative energies or hurt, just put it into the tobacco, and then we'll give it back to the earth. So you don't have to carry that. Um, I want to acknowledge that we're on Treaty 7 land. This land that we now call Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and the 12 communities that we're on, this used to be Blackfoot territory. And then in 1877, Treaty 7 was signed. And Treaty 7 has the Pakani, the Ghanai, and Siksika nations of the Blackfoot, also the Blackfoot Confederacy south of the border. Uh, we have the Stony Nakoda, the Wesley Chiniki, and Wesley tribes, and I'm just going to do a special shout out to them right now because uh, there's a little bit of an emergency out there right now, and we're thinking about them. Um, Sutina are the Dene people, that's my people, and I acknowledge all Métis from across Turtle Island and all visiting Indigenous people from across Turtle Island because the Indigenous were the original caretakers of this land that give us our clean water, all all of the wonderful resources that we have. So this is where I acknowledge the Inuit and all of the half-breeds or however you identify all across Turtle Island that come here to Calgary. So I just want to say thank you for, for being here today. Um, 
just a quick reminder that we're, we're going to be doing a circle. So we're just going to allow everyone their opportunity to speak. And I want to just start talking a little bit about 12 Community Safety Initiatives. Like we're in the Office of 12 Community Safety Initiative. We normally have our book club in the Forslund Library. So this is a bit of a change for us, but this is also a change in the time that we normally have our book club. So I just wanted to do a more specialized conversation about internalized racism and have the Jig Is Up come and join us so that we could have this conversation. Um, the 12 Community Safety Initiative focuses on the 12 communities of the Greater Forest Lawn area. And we do education for people. So we focus on Indigenous education with the book club. We also focus on, um, focus on safety as educational components about, you know, issues that opioids, all sorts of different things that might be happening in, in the communities. Uh, we, we also do community action team catwalks. So those catwalks, they, you know, allow a chance for a community to heal. So, for example, last night we did one in Abbeydale, and uh, we've done one before in Marlborough when there was a shooting. So there's lots of, uh, you know, opportunities for, for catwalks if you're interested in uh, safety and safety in your community. Those are things that we do. And I also have a women's safety sharing circle that we do. And that's a safe place for women to speak because a lot of women share differently when they're around men. So this is a, a safe space for them to be. And I just want to welcome our, our new guests that came in. Uh, we're actually expecting at least two more people as well. So that's great. I'm grateful you're all here. Um, yeah, so we're just going to do a conversation on internalized racism, structural racism, probably talk about government identifications like are you First Nation, are you Métis, are you Inuit, and what does that mean? Let's break that down. Uh, another component to this conversation is the 60 scoop. Uh, the one reason why I don't like using that term is that it, it says, it, it's almost like it was something that's in the past when today we have three times the amount of kids in uh, foster care system than we did at the height of residential school. So the 60 school policy hasn't actually ended. So um, I'd like to talk a little bit about that component. And of course, um, if anybody's read this book from Maria Campbell, there is a conversation to be had about the French-English rivalry. And that French-English rivalry is still felt today. And the uh, you know, effects of colonialism obviously still affect uh, today. So. Let's just probably go around in a circle. Um, you can identify your name, uh, share how you identify, if you identify as Métis, First Nation, Dene, whichever you'd like. And, uh, and I also acknowledge pronouns because I think that a lot of people like to uh, have a bigger conversation on two-spirit and before colonialism, how there wasn't these gender identifications. So she and her and they and them, uh, him and he. These are our conversations now that I like to incorporate because I want everyone to feel included and comfortable. So my name's Michelle. My Indian Acting Post status card says that I'm Yellowknife Dene. But when I asked my grandma, she said that we were the hair people. And the hair people were North Slavey people that used to wear rabbit fur. And everybody identified them as the hair people because they were always in rabbit, rabbit fur. So I'm going to get rabbit fur right one time. <laughs> anyway, I use she and her uh, pronouns. And you know, I 
probably will continue the conversation, so I'll just go around. My name is Yusuf Ali. I'm originally from Pakistan. I've been doing scuba diving, teaching people scuba diving related stuff like coral reef conversation. So I've been actually activist, environmentalist for all my life. And I faced this uh, racism right from the beginning when I actually started growing up. And what it might mean, and what I understand, the racism actually circled around the wealth, the money, because the people want to grab the wealth of the other people who are actually become a, a, a victim. And that's how the racism started. So we have faced all that right from the beginning when I started my life at 15 years of age. And when I came here in Canada, I found it actually is embedded into the government policies. So that is what is a terrible thing, which you cannot take it out because it's actually really embedded. So we have really worked very hard and stood together. So to work slowly out because you don't want policies to hurt the people. You want policies to help people to get out of this vicious cycle. And that's all I want to say at the moment and pass on to you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. My name is Alan. Um, I'm originally from New Brunswick. I'm from a Métis nation called the Soleil Levant. Um, I've been in Calgary for about 20 years, um, so I call Calgary my home. Uh, my traditional Blackfoot name is Bullhead. I still haven't learned it in the Blackfoot. It's a, it's a, it's a work in progress. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm just happy to be here. Thank you so much. All right. Glad everybody could have me here today. My name is Joe. I, uh, I'm originally from Vancouver Island. Uh, my family is from the St. Boniface area in Winnipeg. I was given my, uh, my Cree name, uh, Big Eagle Star, by one of our elders here in, in Calgary. Uh, I'm going to butcher it. It's Mista uh, Kinu Achakos. I apologize if that is incorrect. I've, uh, again, like Alan, I've been in Calgary for about 30 odd years, and I grew up in this area for as long here. Uh, for many, many, many years, and I, I saw racism at a very, very young age. Um, more of a confused racism, which I think a lot of people currently have, not necessarily knowing their culture or knowing who they are or actually knowing what those terms Métis actually meant, you know, 20-something years ago. And I think that uh, that's going to be one of those conversations that we're having that we can dig a little deeper into. So I'll stop there. And again, thank you for... Uh, for allowing me to speak today. Hi, my name's Rhonda. I am Métis, and my family's from Fishing Lake, Saskatchewan, but I was born here, so Calgary's my home. My name is Ashley, I'm a Korean native, and uh, my family's in Saskatchewan, but as part of the city groups, I grew up in, I grew, I grew up in foster families in, in Calgary. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know much of my, my history, so I was just uh, being, Towards any towards anywhere, it was all, it was always put down. Mm -hmm. So I just didn't really uh, relate to being native because I was I was raised in a Jamaican family and they always. So I'm just trying to re re relearn my roots and understand my traditions mm -hmm. more now. So things are coming. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. uh, <coughs> my name is Brian Littlechief and I'm uh, Blackfoot Indian. 
my wife's a Métis, so I do a lot of research for her, family tree. And uh, I, I was raised off the reserve for 35 years, left the reserve when I was about 10, 11, I think it was, 1965. So in that time, I, uh, I guess I was raised, uh, I witnessed discrimination, racism, and I could never really understand why uh, there was Métis status and treaties. And so later on, then I, like going, going to the States, uh, everybody's native. I seen a drum group that was all black, that they were proud to be native. But here in Canada, the government labels us, and that's where I feel that we divide. And I'm kind of confused because I thought the government uh, took the Métis title away and everybody became Indian. So I was telling my wife uh, one, one morning I woke up and on the news they said, oh, Métis were Indian. So I guess you could say I went to bed with a Métis and woke up with an Indian. <laughs> 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 I'm just interested in I, I do a lot of research and uh, I know a lot about I've always been interested in uh, government uh, governments and uh, I'm uh, having to raised with the old people and uh, I found a lot of things. My dad was uh, did a lot of research too so I'm quite aware of, of the uh, RCAP uh, report, the uh, TRC, and uh, even way back uh, reports that were done on uh, the study of Indians. So, glad to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm Andrea, and uh, I'm actually originally from Toronto. I moved here about two, two and a half years ago, and I had the good fortune when I first got here to get to know Michelle through an election campaign and some other things. And I've just uh, had, had gone back to school and was actually studying Indigenous issues. And when we moved here, that got a little bit uh, put on hold. So it's it's good to kind of reconnect with that and and. Uh, learning to understand the, the issues. So I'm just very grateful to be part of that. And should I, like, should I be, am I a colonizer? Should I say, everyone's saying I'm a, am I, do I say I'm Andrew Joyce, I'm a colonizer? I don't know if you want to, like, you're welcome to use that term or something. But, but if you're, I don't, and I if just, you're like Ukrainian <laughs> and you want to identify as Ukrainian. But, I, but I'm like, period Canadian, Newfoundland based. But mm -hmm. as I was listening to you all introduce yourself within the context of the discussion, mm -hmm. it was one of those aha moments where I went, oh my god, I'm a colonizer. Like it sort of it just hit me as we were kind of going around. So I don't know. It was kind of, it's kind of a harsh thing to come to with a little bit. Anyway. And to think it's on air. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it is, uh, now that I hear myself say it about myself, I have to identify within this context. It's a bit of a, it's a wow. 
I swear, but I'm not going to because I'm here. Hi, I'm Serena. I'm a Métis, born and raised here in Calgary, but with roots in other places of Turtle Island, Minnesota, and the high south. I guess I'm more of a listener. Uh, I'm Métis. My great-grandfather was the first Métis president. What I can tell you that before uh, John Bruce and Louis Riel, the Métis people had jobs. That My great-grandfather looked for this one ship for three years. That ship has been found by the Inuit and it's the Emirates. And he looked for it for three years and couldn't find it. The people that were asking him to do so did not want him to listen to the Inuit. If he had, he would have found the ship. But he gave up after. And he led 40, 40 boats with 20 men to each boat, never lost one man. And there's a bit of writing about what kind of man he was. One of the men from the ship said he was the most honest, fair, and loving man. And that's why they chose him to be the first Métis president to lead their people. But he was dying of cancer. And, and they were elected on the 20th day of October in 1869. In 1870, um, um, before the end of that year in December, he asked Louis to take over. But he said, go to the States and teach so we won't be hung. I'm too sick, they won't hang me. But they'll hang you if you stick around. He went to the States. Dumo wanted him back, but it wasn't Dumo that knew where he was. It was Corbo that knew where he was. And Corbo was a whiskey runner. And he was good friends with the RCMP. And the, the RCMP was going out with Corbo's daughter. So there was a lot of favoritism that does not like to be mentioned in history. But if we have something that we're ashamed of. We should never be ashamed of where we come from. We were wrongly treated so badly. It used to be that big Bruce family on John Bruce Road. They're so dirty, they're half-breeds. Um, my dad said, love who you are. You are a half-breed, that's who you are. Be proud of it. You're half of one good nation and really wonderful of the other nations. So you're from two beautiful nations. Be proud. I'm the youngest of the 17 children, and I'm in my 80s. So I'm very thankful and grateful to be here with all of you. And there's much to be learned about the Métis and First Nation people. And the government did not want us to get along with First Nation. And, they, and some First Nation, they didn't want them to get along either. So our, the government of the time has done a lot of damage. It's taken a long time. But I'm with several groups of First Nation people. And they're wonderful, and they're learning about me, and I'm learning about them. 
and I love it. Thank you. Thank you. It's hard to speak after you. <laughs> I'm Kathleen. Um, my biological grandfather was descended from slavery. You can't tell by looking at me. Um, my uh, paternal grandfather was a British homeboy who came over at the age of 13. He was an indentured slave worker on three different farms. Um, my mother, on my maternal side, I've got an Acadian family, the Arsenault and the Gallant. And on their line, there's a person called an Esquimo woman. Um, I come from Irish Elliots. I have a crazy history. I come from a military family. I'm not rooted in any part of Turtle Island, but every part of Turtle Island from at least east to west, and not north yet, and I ache to go there. And I came here to the Forest Lawn area probably 40 years ago and had my first employment at a junior high school here in Forest Lawn uh, in 1979. And there was, at that time, identified a need because we had so many Métis children living in the city and in this part of the city and so many indigenous peoples who had moved off and dis disconnected mm -hmm. from their roots on the reserve that they went looking for a teacher who would write and start a program for these kids that would mean a lot of communicating and connecting with people in the community to find uh, the people who were really rooted in their cultures who could come into the school to share with the children who they might be because they were not doing well on these standardized exams that were on subjects that um, meant nothing to them in their gut or intuition. So um, part, my first job in that position, because I expressed an interest um, with absolutely no uh, background apart from having friendships with Indigenous friends and Métis friends, I had no, and that's part of the problem with education, I think, is that there are teachers among those communities, but they've always sort of relied on somebody who might be interested. And so I ended up in that role. And then I ended up, uh, the, first, the first job I had was to hire an assistant from the community and um, 
what gave me that right to hire somebody or to look at what the nature of people was, I don't know. But I was given that kind of power and I ended up choosing uh, a lady from the community who was Métis from Saskatchewan and married to a Cree gentleman, Lawrence, who some time ago, a long time ago, passed away. So Marie was a single mother to five children and I chose for her to assist and help me collect and gather information to, to uh, teach these children. And I mention all of this because what I found in that journey was a lot of internal racism. I was chastised, I was, I suffered a lot through that period from the community, whether it was the school community or the Métis community or the Cree community or the Indigenous communities from our surrounding reserves. It was a very difficult time, but I really am here because I'm, especially after our last, last meeting about the 94 calls to action, I realized that where I can maybe impact the most is through education. And it's what I'm here to do is to be educated and also to learn authentic ways of educating my friends, my family, and to participate in these conversations. So I ask you all to send your, your energy and your stories, your narratives my way because I am completely graciously receiving them. I thank you for your, your presence here, all of you. I'm Sherry Leah, and um, I don't know if I'll be able to get through this without crying. Um, I'm a 60 scoop baby, and uh, I live out here now. I went back to Ontario last year for that for that 60 scoop lawsuit because I thought that we were going to have a chance to to speak to share about what each of us went through. And all that happened was the same thing as I've always seen happen. The government stepping in and getting their own way and doing whatever the heck they want without any responsibility, accountability, or transparency for that matter. I have been searching for my, the truth of my life for Sherry Lynn, since I can remember. I was put with a white family, complete white family, and I don't know what that means. I don't know if they're Scottish or Irish or what the heck they are, but I do know this. They were the first people in my life to introduce me to um, prejudice. Here I am, a native baby, and they're sitting and telling me about how bad native people are and that I'm nothing but a dirty engine. And it's like, 
I learned, that's what I learned when I first started out in life, of how dirty I was. And that whatever that meant, that I was going to carry that. They told me that I had an eighth of Native in me, these white people. And um, as I started my journey looking, looking for answers, finding answers that are going to rest my soul, I learned that my mother is full Native. I learned that my dad, first I was told he was a French man. So I went and checked him out, and he was nothing but a dirty old man. Um, I was told that um, that oh no, it wasn't him. It was this other French guy that lives out here in Calgary. That happens to be the same guy that was with my mom, my biological mom, when she went missing. And the SOB has gotten away with murder as far as I'm concerned. He was the last one to see her, the last one to talk to her, and nobody's looked for her since. And that's over 30 years ago. Those are the hardships I got to live with. I talked to my brother and sister on the phone for the very first time, and it was so disgusting because all they could think about was money and, and all this other stuff. They couldn't think about maybe healing finding the truth out for our family, making things good in our family, bring this stuff into our family, because we need it. And um, so he picked money over blood. That was my first real look at my family. And then last year, before I went out to Ontario, my uh, biological son did some research for me, and he got got back in touch with me and he informed me that the uncle that I had met a few years back, the grandmother that I met a few years back, well she's my real grandmother, full native um, First Nation, Ojibwe, and um, that my actual, my actual uncle was in fact my half-brother and that his mom killed himself because of what happened to her. And that my dad was actually the guy that I'd been calling my stepdad all this time, or my step-grandfather, I mean, sorry, my step-grandfather, to find out that he had raped my mom. That's how I came to be. And you know what I learned? These laws that they've got in place, all this stuff that's happened over all these decades has protected that SOB. I go to, are we allowed to say government? Mm -hmm. Okay, I go to the government to get my status so that everything's in order and I can move on with what I need in my life. And they tell me, oh, you don't have these rights. You don't have a right to know what's in these files. You don't have a right to see your original birth certificate. You don't have a right to own your own birth certificate. The birth certificate I got has Caucasian on it. And I am nowhere near Caucasian. And it just goes on and on and on. Over the years I've learned that my family actually, um, she's passed away now, but my bloodline comes from a lady 
who was the first woman in Canada to become a woman chief. And that's the bloodline I come from. That's the bloodline I'm standing on. I don't know what the heck that makes me, but it, I do know this. It makes me one heck of a fighter and one tenacious fighter at that. And that's what I'm here for, to find a platform where I can state these things, state it what it is, the truth. They genocide, tried to genocide us. That's what it was called. I talked to these people, these people that were named in the 60s scoop claim as being responsible for this stuff. One of them being the Church of Canada, the United Church of Canada. They can't even state the truth. Oh, well, this happened and this happened. Why don't you just call it what it is instead of sugarcoating and candy coating it? Maybe that's part of the problem is we're doing too much politically correct and too much pussy uh, uh, dancing around. Sorry. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, that, you know, it causes so much chaos and so much confusion and misunderstandings that it's not even funny. And I've got to live my life trying to figure this stuff out. At 53 years of age, I'm still trying to learn who the heck I am. And I'm not even any closer to it. You know, except that I'm from the Curve Lake area. That's what I know. And the bloodline that I'm from. That's what I know today. But I don't know much else, except that the government are goose. To think that they have a right to keep our identity from me. Tell me I have no rights to that information. What well, ain't gonna help nobody else? It has nothing to do with nobody else. It's not about the next mateys or the next native or anything else like that. It only serves me. And I just, I don't know. That's all I got to say for at the moment. I've got more to say later. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you. Thank you. What's the third one to follow up on? Um, <laughs> Sorry. My name is Samantha Robinson, and I'm, I'm a Acadian Métis, and um, I'm also a Slavey Dene. Um, and yeah. <laughs> well, my name is Darcy, and I'm a Canadian Métis, um, and there's some parts of my family that I haven't quite figured out yet, so, because there's very, very bad records, and it goes down into the States, comes back, Canada goes down into the States, come back, Canada. So it's very confusing, so part of me, I don't know, there's still questions of my genealogy, um, but the ones that I have been able to trace back, uh, you know, just keep going back to Acadia over and over again, so. That's who I am, and I'm just glad everybody's here. I want to thank everybody for, for starting and for starting to share. And uh, I'll just kick it back to Michelle and keep it going. Sure. Um, so one of the key things that I definitely wanted to stress tonight would be that self-identification matters. So I'll just give a, a quick example in the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer community. Some people identify as two-spirit, some people identify as queer, some people identify as they identify. And um, we have to respect that. Uh, I grew up in a generation that thought queer was a bad term, but the new generation thinks queer is a great term. Um, and I, I wanted to now bring that back to um, identification of Indigenous people. And the reason why is because 
I remember once talking about half-breed from Maria Campbell and getting viciously attacked, telling me I was racist for using such a term. So I thought, well, I think maybe there's huge gaps in education about what half-breed even means. Um, and, and what terms like road allowance people are and Métis, I think Joe would probably be a good person to touch a little bit on, on Métis because we have so many different ideas of it. And, um, you know, I just wanted to put a lot of that out there and I'll share a little bit about my own journey. Um, I was born Canadian. I didn't uh, know anything about any of this. And the reason why I didn't know was because my, my indigenous mother happily married a white man and at that time happily lost her status because that was the law. And so in now 1985, the laws changed and I became what is known in indigenous circles as a, as a C31, meaning you know I get my status back solely based on the fact that my mother was native and that they realized they discriminated. But the irony being they still have like a tier class system on that, so my own daughter won't classify for Métis, or for um, uh, First Nation status. Now, all of this is incredibly problematic because ultimately this is all a government telling us who we are when culture is culture. When somebody becomes a Canadian, they don't lose their Ukrainian heritage, they don't lose their Chinese background, they don't lose those things, but with indigenous people, that's the one thing they want us to lose because we have rights to this land. So um, I have a real problem with the government deciding whether my daughter is First Nation, Métis, um, or if I'm First Nation, or Métis, or Canadian. Um, and that's why I respect a self-identification. Uh, we have a, um, an elder out Siksika, and she identifies as an Indian, a proud Indian. And she's an elder, and I have no right to tell her Indian is an offensive term to me because she's lived a life that has allowed her to um, take ownership of that term and own it and be proud to be Indian. So, you know, I just, I really want to get that out there because I think, especially if you've been affected by government policy on a 60 scoop, on a, you know, being taken away from your family, it, it really is confusing to a lot of people. And even though I knew who my mother and my father were, I still had problems with saying, you know, I'm Indian. I grew up saying, well, I'm part Indian, I'm part Indian. As if that mattered, and that's part of colonialism, is the determination of how Indian are you. As if that's okay. And, you know, we have people that are, you know, obviously 100% Indigenous who are non-status. And, you know, all of these years of Métis fighting for rights is part of that. All of the people that were through colonialism, through the Indian Act, are now considered non-status. My daughter would be considered non-status by some terms, um, but, you know, Williams, or William, uh, Justice Sinclair, I guess now Senator Sinclair, he says, Michelle, you, you better uh, try and get status for her. So, obviously, I'm going to listen to him. Uh, first and foremost, and then I know through my own um, lineage through the Yellowknife Dene. The Yellowknife Métis, the, they are very clear, as long as you have ancestry through the Dene, you are considered uh, Métis. So I could get her that um, when she turns 16. So there's, uh, there's so many nuances, but again, these are all governmental de decisions 
on who you are. And no matter what the government says, I know who my, my mother's side is no matter what. And conversely, on my father's side, we go all the way down to the Mayflower. So I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution. And I'm Yellowknife Dene, you know? And, and that's okay. And nobody has the right to tell me I'm not Indian enough. Um, you know, so that's a little bit about me and, and sharing a little bit about the complication of government decisions on who I am. You know, they don't ultimately get to choose who I am. I get to choose who I am and, and be honest about who I am because I know who I am. So I just wanted to share a little bit about that with me and these, you know, governmental terms. And if you have any questions, just let, let me know and I'll be happy to answer what I think I know. This young lady hasn't said who she is. <laughs> How about we go with Nancy and then Victoria and then we'll go from there. What was the introduction? What were you guys saying? Just your name and who you are. And yeah, pronouns and how you want to identify. All right. Um, well, my English name is Nancy. Um, my real name is Panaktanolu. Um, I got that in Alonso when I was about four years old. Um, I come from Oneida Nation of the Thames, and my dad is mixed with Scottish. Um, that's it, I did. Okay. Okay. That's beautiful. Oh, thanks. Ask her who made it. Oh. Which this? Yeah. Were you saying this is beautiful? No, I said oh, what, what I you saw. said oh, was beautiful. Nancy, <laughs> she's our elder. She did the opening prayer, actually. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry I missed it. Yeah. It was really good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I had the pleasure of meeting Edme um, Metis Week at Mount Royal University. Um, and I've heard her speak and it's uh, very profound and gives a, what I found a, um, well it holds a special place in my heart as also uh, Métis from the Red River. And um, my mom was also there and um, Edme and my mom were talking about the, the lineage that we come from and that she actually knew some of the Berthelet family in um, Red River, which is, I mean, such a kind of a small world and serendipitous thing. Yeah, because you're actually the closest thing, one of the closest things I have to that part of our history. Um, there's not a lot of elders that I've been fortunate enough to listen to that do speak from that Red River perspective. Um, so I'm Victoria Marchbank, and I am a Red River Métis and um, also Scottish, uh, like red hair, freckles, very pale skinned father, <laughs> um, but uh, took after my mom's side. And um, yeah, I, I, it's great that this is the topic, um, that this is what we're talking about. Self-identification is something I've been doing since I found out I was Métis um, at, I think I was about 19 years old and began self-identifying um, with the support of my sister, saying, like, it doesn't matter, a piece of paper is never gonna <coughs> take away your bloodline. And she, um, and then we eventually was able to trace or do our family tree, and finally got, um, all of our family got our Métis cards this year um, through Métis Nation of Alberta. So very, very um, um, proud um, to, and it's weird because I, I fluctuate between the, you know, the government can't define us and that I'm never going to apologize. I, I was at a talk today at Mount Royal um, and the Indigenous lawyer that spoke said, 
no one can ever take away um, who I am, nobody. And that I refused, that she refused as a Salish woman who was raised, born and raised in Calgary, uh, or at least raised in Calgary, that she refused to apologize for being an urban res, you know, a, an indigenous kid that grew up in Calgary. And she said, apologizing for that would mean I have to apologize for my ancestors' decisions, and that goes against everything in me. And that really, like, that felt really good. And so, um, but it's the flip-flop between the government identifying you doesn't matter but then the pride I had and we all shared as a family when we all got our cards because we put in 12 years of genealogy work to trace back, like it's difficult. Um, and there's so many barriers to find out the truth of who we are. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, but the card still means something. And so it's kind of, should it mean something? Should I be telling it? You know, should I put that kind of judgment on it or should I just, leave it, but I really liked what she had said, that nobody can take it away from me, and our ancestors have made their decisions, and it's important that we respect that no matter where we're born or where we grow up. It's still in our bones, and we feel it in ceremony, and we feel it when we gather, um, and that's, you can't define that. Can I say one thing? You're the elderly, always. <laughs> we are all Métis, the first child born to a First Nation, and European was the first half-breed. On our birth certificate, later was put just your regular name and your parents. No Métis, no half-breed, no nothing. But for years, all Métis were identified as half-breed. We are all across Turtle Island, which is called Canada today, and into the States, we have Métis. And we need to be proud, and we need to support one another. And when people say, yes, I'm proud that you're from the Red River, and that's where I was born. But my great-grandfather, he, he married someone that was Cree, and I've got picture of, of their wedding. And, and she's Cree, and she's from the East, and, and he was from the East. They first, you know, they came from the East, and then they marched on. And as we march on, we need to be proud of this. And we need to support one another from coast to coast, from North to South, and into the South. If we do not do this, the government will win. Yes. So please, Amen. everybody, please, yeah. amen. Yeah. As an elder, I'm asking you to pray a lot. We are spiritual people. Yeah. We can stand together and yeah. stand we will. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you can pass if you want, but if you, if you want to talk about... Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, in my experience, 20 years of Canadian, uh, I think this systematic racism, which is originated by the British, not only in Canada, is all over the world. I actually grew um, from the subcontinent of India, which was even divided into two tiny little countries, and we have always been deprived of our rights. Till that, when I was a little guy, but 
10 or 12 years since I realized this is not a place for me to stay. So I run, I ran away. So I walked, hitchhiked across the continent from France to Pakistan all the way to England, London to just find out where we stand. And all that time, I have faced the racism, uh, treated like a second class citizen, but on the face, the British are so great people. They're always <laughs> You are good. We <coughs> love you because you are a that. So this is what I thought I would not face in Canada because that was my knowledge. When I came in here, Canada, I thought we had a deeper mud. I mean, deeper, I mean, this place, I mean, it's so stink that this is really embedded in the, in the country, in the government system. And uh, it's got, the only way you can get out of it is to, we got to get together and we can talk about these things to the newcomers coming to Canada. Um, I've been working with the newcomers coming into Calgary for the last couple of years, but uh, they had no idea as I came into Canada thinking different and now I know the reality is so ugly that we got to do something mm -hmm. now. I heard about today that the uh, Pope has sent $200 million to this group of children, for 400 children. It was in the news. and uh, But it's not on the main media news, it's in the <coughs> fake news through, this, <laughs> through the social media. And that's all I've got to say today. Pass it on. <laughs> Um, I don't know, growing up for me, um, I mean, the way I look, white, blue eyes, light hair, um, you know, I look at the colonizer. But, you know, in growing up with my family, my grandmother was the, the four foot eleven brown lady. So the pictures are actually hilarious. I thought it was a rich family, like an Irving from back east there. I was born, so I had to live with that. Uh, but it was just something we didn't talk about in outside the home. Like, you know, we talked about it inside the home with grandmother and my dad and whatnot. And then, you know, inside the home, it was, nope, you were French or you were, you were white. That's it. And it was, that's where I grew up. I mean, grew up Catholic. But I mean, like Victoria said, uh, there's nothing you can take away from my lineage there. Like, when I first went into a sweat and had more spirituality from that one sweat than. 30 years of Catholic going to mm -hmm. the church. Um, you know, it, it was all, like, it, it, it hits you, it hits me, it hit me hard. Mm -hmm. And then going to, like, round dances and powwows, and I was like, oh my God, I'm home. Mm -hmm. And, but again, coming in, you know, sticking out like a sore thumb. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. Can I pass for this one? Yeah. I have so many things rolling around in my head. Um, I just wanted to go back to what you were saying when it comes to the Métis card. And I think this this was really defined by Métis cards, status cards. It's not the card that you need to be proud of. It's what's behind the card and what you do with the knowledge, knowing that your heritage is backed by that little plastic piece of paper. And I think that's what I've learned over the past 30 plus years. Growing up in Forest Lawn, I mean, you were either Caucasian or you were Indian. I mean, I think we had two, because uh, I went to Ernest Morrow uh, way back in the day. 
and I think we had two East Indian kids there, and they were super good friends of mine. But I was kind of in the middle because I didn't really know where I sat. I knew I had indigenous ancestry, but it wasn't talked about at home. It was one of those things that wasn't discussed. And I grew up being called Italian, being called Spanish, being called, depending on the season, being, being called white. And I actually did a, uh, a, a TEDx piece on it uh, that I didn't actually end up doing. But I found that it was what I decided to do with that knowledge that was the most important part in giving back to the community and helping them learn about their history and their knowledge and their culture. Mm -hmm. And I found that that was probably for me the most rewarding piece and it's still to this day, learning about my history because we won't know, you know, with our genealogy, no matter if you're First Nations, if you're Inuit, if you're Métis, we won't know truly who we are until we move on, you know, but it's that learning process, mm -hmm. that excitement, because I got to tell you, I was looking at my genealogy on my ancestry.ca, and I get excited every time I see that because you find a new person. You're like, I wonder who they are. I wonder what they used to do. And I found some fascinating stuff. The Bruce's family members uh, went back to Robert the Bruce. Yeah. You know, just fascinating <laughs> stuff. I've got uh, uncles that were map makers with um, what's that guy's mm -hmm. name? Anyways, doesn't matter. Hmm. No, uh, David Thompson. David Thompson. Oh, yeah. 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 So, so one of my uncles. But I mean, that doesn't make me who I am. But it gives me strength to say, you know what? I can do anything I want. I can help people move mountains. You know. And I think for me, growing up, and I learned late in life that I was Métis. It wasn't until probably the last fifteen years. Um, what does that mean? When did Métis actually become Métis? When does that term actually come into effect? You know, because half-breed was the term. Mm -hmm. And half-breed was considered a four-letter word back in the day. It was well used by the <coughs> because that's all we really knew, how to identify ourselves. And I think that half-breed was kind of a, a nasty word. Métis was a little more polished. And I think that when it comes to that educational piece, and I don't want to take up too much time because I want to talk again afterwards, if you'll let me. Um... <laughs> Part of the issue that we do have is that we get dollars to indigenize uh, facilities, uh, universities, colleges, all that stuff. But are we doing it correctly? And are we doing it for the right reasons? And are we actually asking the right individuals their input? And I think that may be part of the problem that we have. We think we're doing the right thing. We think we're going in the right direction, but are we truly? And I think that really needs to be what we're asking ourselves and generations to come. I'm looking at my kids, I'm looking at my granddaughter and deciding my actions are going to reflect what they do. What I do now is going to reflect what they do in 30 years. Are we doing it for the right reasons? Or are we doing it just for our own self-worth? So I'm going to stop there. Are we doing what? Everything. Are we having this talk? For ourselves, or are we having it for generations to come? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know what to say. Um, I identify as Métis, but growing up I was kind of like the same as you. People would ask, and I'd be like, well, I'm part Indian. 
and I never really thought about it much because in my mind we grew up white you know my dad was a white man and my mom was very obviously indigenous but we never thought about it we never talked about it and I learned that my mom really hated that part of herself um, and that got instilled in us too, even though we weren't like conscious of it. Um, yeah, my mom experienced a lot of racism. And I think that's probably why she married a white dude. <laughs> um, it helped her, you know. Um, but, you know, now that I'm older and I see how things really were, my dad didn't treat her that great either, you know? Um, and that lives on in us. Like, all the treatment that my mom got and all the treatment that her parents got, it was passed on to us, even though we didn't exactly see it in a direct way. Um, so it's a legacy and we live with it and, and you know, trying to, um, only now am I trying to find out where I am from and, and connecting with that. And I am kind of proud of it. I'm, I'm trying not to be because especially I'm becoming more aware of this Eastern and Red River Métis thing. And it's horrible, horrible. And um, so I'm, I am connected to Red River. Um, my grandfather is Damas Carrier. And he was one of the main guys who fought in, in the rebellion with Louis Riel. And he actually was killed because he was mistaken for Riel. And, they, and he was killed and drugged from a horse. He was actually drugged from a horse until he died. So, I mean, all of that trauma is there, passed on, passed on. But um, I'm learning that we can't hate that part of ourselves. Um, because that's what my mom did and she was, she had a, she had a really hard life. Now that I'm connecting, you know, with Métis people and, and our heritage, I'm getting healing mm. that my mom never got and she needed it so bad. So... I don't know, just keep digging. One thing that I don't, one thing that I have an issue with and that I have trouble with is going to ceremony. Like, I feel like an intruder, you know, because I'm like, yeah, I'm part Cree, but I never practice that. I don't look it. So when I go, I feel like I don't belong. And I don't know if that's, you know, just because of colonialism, I don't know. But anyways, um, 
I don't know. I think that's all. I'll see. Thanks. All right. I don't know exactly know what to say. So, but uh, the word, what, what the main, the main, the main thing we're trying to recognize is, is um, what's that word? Like who we are. Like we're trying to recognize yeah, our identity. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That was that was a big thing for me when I was a child, because when I was growing up in white families and the Jamaican family, I was always told I was a dirty Indian. So I just I always felt that Indians were dirty. We had no, we had no. Um, we're always poor or just always doing stuff that was always bad. So I, I grew to be ashamed to be native, and uh, I was always around my white friends, and just I was always Albert Lights, I was Puerto Rican, and then to say I uh, just uh, just it was, it was it was almost embarrassing to be native, and then uh, and then as I got older, I started recognizing, you know what, I'm a fighter, and this is who I am. I and mean, natives are the most strongest people out there. I mean, natives have always been fighting. It doesn't matter how far you look back at it, we've been fighting, and we've been always winning. We've been always winning the war, but. We're there to fight, you know what I mean? So I'm proud of that, of, that I have that spirit in me. That, that means what I've gone through in my life, it's been pretty horrendous and pretty horrible, but you know what? I'm here today and uh, I'm able to survive and say, you know what, I'm a native. I'm a Cree native from Saskatchewan. I'm from the Pupikasis Reserve and uh, I don't know much about my past or my history, but I'm learning more. And, and with my reserve, um, we, 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 my reserve first started because um, the graduate, the top graduates from the residential schools were all placed in the one reserve, mm. and then then became a farming community, and they were, they were flourishing, doing so well that the white farmers got jealous and angry that they had the government undercut the native, undercut our reserve, and so they they just recently won a lawsuit based on that. So that's good for them, but I'm just very happy that they you know. I know who I am, and I'm able to recognize that, you know what, yes, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed anymore. I'm very proud to be that I'm a native, and you know, you know what, I am who I am. So I'm happy that I'm, I'm actually Pene, uh, part of Pekas' reserve. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <clears throat> well, what I say, I hope I don't offend anybody. I guess my, the way I look at things and listening to your people growing up was that uh, uh, from what I gather is that uh, uh, I guess our relationship to land is uh, what defines who we are. And uh, so uh, I guess at one time, all indigenous nations on Turtle Island, uh, they had everything. Everything was in place. And then the Europeans came over. And uh, so how it was, what happened when they came, it started to <coughs> take a lot of our uh, values and belief systems in our way of life changed. And uh, so, but I don't identify as an Indian. There's a lot of labels that uh, uh, Europeans have given us, Eskimo and all these things, medicine and all these, these are just labels that we, we don't agree with. We have a different term for them. 
So, uh, you're East Indian? Yeah. To me, you're the real Indian. I'm just a generic Indian. <laughs> <laughs> Pray for your enemies. We don't want to do that. We don't want to go into that. Stuff. 
once you start to learn that, that's how you get back your spirituality. So these are the things that uh, I, I think a lot about. And uh, decolonizes, not to go back to the old days, but to take back our values and beliefs and apply them to our lives, to our kids, and uh, even our health. Our medicines, we haven't lost them. We have We have to go back. Uh, myself, I, I live in two worlds, two realms. I live in a physical and a spiritual. That's just how I was from a very young age. I started getting visitations, and now I practice my traditional spirituality. I uh, help people through my sweat lodge. And I see things, and some of the things that the spirits say about this present day, it's really amazing, really amazing, because they won't say it, you have to figure it out. And right now we're living in a time where we can swing to the positive, and through the TR, TRC, it's all in there. A lot of ignorant, non-natives out there. It's our job to fix that. So there won't be that. And heal. We have to. Any day, in our in our uh, Blackfoot way, I grew up with Sayapi Quex. It's not a really happy. It's Indian. It's they're Indian people, but they have no. Their identity is bouncing between two worlds. They don't really have a, a solid foundation to stand on. They have to do the research and connect themselves to, like I said, Greece, Soto, or whatever. And, uh, or go the other way, but be respectful of this. Um, so I have a lot of half-breed nieces, nephews. And uh, I lived in Calgary among Métis people. Local 101, I remember. Huh. Was, I have friends. So I suffered discrimination along with them. So uh, Sayapi Quakes were the real people, too. They just had to connect. Um, and we must leave this, like the, my dad says, leave the white, white people alone. Don't hate them. Take it as a challenge. As you want to enter the gates smoothly. Beside me, 
my daughters would throw them in the university. Sometimes when they come home, they'll sit there. But Serene has been filling that. And uh, any, anybody that comes to me with health issues, if it's lady stuff, I don't like to hear it. Then I can say it in Blackfoot so that the spirits can hear that. So, and, and lately I've been teaching her a lot about how it was before the Europeans, what happened and how it is now. And uh, where my dad worked with uh, Maslow. When Maslow came to the Blackfoot people in 1938, uh, there was two other uh, anthropologists that came with them. So they did a lot of stuff on genealogies. And uh, so, there's about 3,100 page of field notes that I've given to her, and she's helped me to do a lot of research. In the process, she's learning a lot, not only about the Blackfoot, but spirituality as, a, as it applies to all real people, or how it should apply to all real people. So, because uh, all indigenous nations on Turtle Island are spiritual people. We're not religious, we're spiritual. Christianity only came 2,000 years ago. So. <laughs> Such a big talker. I had something in mind, but... Uh, <laughs> it appears. So where does it work? Oh, well, now it's quite the firestorm in Métis world. Hey, why? Oh my God. Why? And everybody's fighting over the history. How come they don't see the link? It all started in the East. It all started with the various forms of fur trade. Really. And uh, came westward, trading making love, making families, making alliances, making agreements. How come nobody is seeing the grand network that spread all across Turtle Island? Why, why is there this, this division? You know, and there's other colon, uh, colonial forces that affected that spread as well. For me and my ancestors, that's the Indian Removal Act, the Racial Integrities Act, slavery that pushed my ancestors to the Northwest to meet some other mixed bloods in Minnesota. And then they got pushed into Canada. And then they meet some kind of Frenchy, uh, right? <laughs> so what do you, what do I get to refer as? I don't know. I, Métis is easy, right? What about my kids? Now we're a real mixed bag. <laughs> uh, and I'm not a particular, I don't mean to offend anybody, but for me, I don't, I don't support the organizations and the cards and stuff like that, because it leaves too many out. Some of us are just not from the right areas, we're part of the right families. I don't know why there is such division for that. Um, <coughs> I was talking about it earlier today with somebody, even like 
it's very true to see that there is nations within nations, right? But I'm not sure how that works. Uh, all I can, because we didn't have like a true land base except in colonial terms. If there was any land, is that the agreement originally with the First Nations that uh, our peoples were trading with and traveling while we were traveling through their lands. Uh, it's sort of like marble, you know? The, big, the main color part, this is all the First Nations. And the little marbled lines, that's us. And we make it beautiful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, what I was going to touch on, there's like a bunch of things I wanted to touch on. Um, there really shouldn't be so much division uh, between, not only amongst uh, our different Métis groups, but between us and the First Nations. There seems to be quite a wide spectrum. And it just so happens I have this nifty little book. Some of y'all might know it. Footprints in the Dust. And that's where I learned that there was quite a spectrum. You got some Métis that were chiefs of uh, bands. So some of the, you know, in, within a band, you'd have Métis and First Nation. And then we kind of switch off. And you got uh, Red River Métis who did settle. And you got some Métis who were sadly horribly damaged and after their families were murdered in the Dakotas, they came out to be an Indian agent eventually. You know, that's very, that's a lot to look in with. Um, and I think maybe that's why some First Nations don't like us that much because of the, um, how can you say, some of those negative activities. So like, you know, bootlegging and Oh yeah, being an Indian agent was really way up there at the top. I just about fell over when I saw that. And they're from the same, same state as me, where my ancestors came from, right? Holy. Um, am I getting that? There's just so much. There's just so much. Uh, I can't say, again, that I support the organizations in the whole card thing because these all operate in a colonial framework. And I really do think that, uh, just like First Nations, we should remove themselves from the colonial system mm -hmm. and be making uh, alliances, alliances with First Nations and support the First Nations to, uh, in the retrieval of their land and in gaining back the, the sovereignty. They should just take it. Cut everything off with Canada and take it. Um, I think I'll just be there. <laughs> <laughs> well said, yes. Mm -hmm. But you have to realize, my girl, those are written words from somebody that took a story from somebody and somebody else. Uh, and so we need to divide what is right and what is wrong. We need to know the past. But we have to live in the present and do the best because now we're more knowledgeable of what is right. Did you ask 
to be warm to your parents? No. Did I ask to be the last of 17 kids? No. <laughs> but here I was. Here I was. So none of us here, or nobody across the world, has ever asked who they're born to. So I'll go back to my dad and my mom and say, be proud of who you are because you have a right to love who you are. And you have a right to love all other people because they as well never chose who they were born to. So if we ever get to that point where we could love everybody, then for me, I love everybody. I don't care. If somebody dislikes me, that's their problem. Let them deal with it. That's, and, I, and I will go up to that person, and especially if I know they dislike me, I say, I love you for you. I mean, that's like your ways. You know what? Because if you acknowledge you love them, then maybe they'll start loving themselves enough not to hate this one and not to hate. No one asked to, you know, maybe I'm doing something that you don't like. Well, say, you know what you're doing? I don't like it. I don't care that I'm an elder. If I did something that wasn't right, I would not be offended as an elder if somebody said, well, you know, Edme, you did that, and that really hurt. And if I could not say, I'm really sorry, I'm glad you brought it to my attention, then there's something wrong with me. That's my way as an elder to see it. So you spoke very well. You spoke from your heart. You read something. You took what you read. And, and you, you marched with it. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for coming forth. It's your turn. I'm sorry. Thank you. No, don't ever apologize. Please, please, please. I just had to answer that for everyone. Thank you. I could listen to you all day. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, I, I think that Len, I'm, pr I don't know, I kind of think, isn't it more, the more the merrier? Like we kind of use that term in so many different ways, whether it's food or people coming over or children or love, it's kind of just the more the merrier. And I, um, I think in in learning a lot, I just wrote a paper on the, the critical role that indigenous women played in the fur trade um, of all backgrounds. You know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just, you know, the Soto were better than the Cree or the Cree were better than the Dene. Like it, it, it seemed, <laughs> you know, like it just seemed at that time, uh, it, they were all, both European and First Nations saw that what they were building, they saw they were all envisioning the same thing, which was a new world. And they were really creating this new culture, this new way of sharing the more the merrier with all of it. Um, the good and the bad, obviously, but there was a lot of good, I think, that came out of it. And I try to hold on to that um, with my own identity as a Métis woman is I still use, I try to lean into that bridge that my ancestors, both sides, were creating. Um, and it really is going to take the more the merrier in a lot of ways um, to heal one another um, and to also 
move forward and re like what what are we envisioning now with our next generations? Like what has happened has happened, and as you mentioned, Edna is we're here. I'm here now. So what do we do with it? Um, and we are. There is privilege in the in the sense that we're just we're born Canadian, um, or we have a Canadian passport. Is a, is compared to a lot of places in other countries. That's that's the goal. That's their vision is to have a passport with the Canadian stamp on it with their name on it. They bring families here. Um, they work hard. They send money overseas to all get that sense of freedom. And um, I think. <coughs> With the good and the bad, there's a lot that we have. And as someone who has access now to education and to growth and to hopefully bridge the gap in whatever I do um, as a professional, like that, it's in deeply ingrained in me that I'm the bridge. And if I can be an advocate for those that don't necessarily have a voice or can't speak up, whether they're any color of the rainbow, like that's. Um, if I have, a, if I'm able to have a platform because of my privilege as a Métis woman, as a Canadian citizen, then why, why wouldn't I use that? Um, and the more voices we have, and the more love that we do share, and the more that we see that we can be inclusive nations, uh, we really can be inclusive nations if we just put down the labels um, and what maybe the labels mean or the labels given to us. Um, then I think there's a really good chance that um, the next generations are going to thank us. So. I think that the more we learn about everything, about everyone, mm -hmm. about can you just, and I just want you all to imagine that you have these beautiful little children and they're taken away and and they're put into a private school where they don't have their mother's love, their father's love. This has happened to our Aboriginal people. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is very sinful. They did it to some Métis. They came on our land and wanted to do that. And I specifically can say there sure was a lot of argument and at the end of it all, they couldn't do it. But, you know, I, I can, for my side of the Aboriginal side, and when I'm learning more about the Blackfoot and the Soto and, and the Cree, we knew some of it, but there's so many, there's over a hundred First Nation. And we need to respect and know the hardship they've gone through. But if we can make a difference for what we've got today by learning to love and teaching love and learning from all these, go to a ceremony, respect that ceremony. It's their way of reaching the Creator. My dad used to say, many highways to that creator, some of them pretty bumpy. <laughs> but if we can pass the bumps and, and, and love everybody and then know that's their way. And uh, the Cree people didn't all sweat, only the men, the women did not. 
but the woman would be out cooking and getting things ready for the men when they come out or and we had name the name giving too. Um, my brother's name was Wapus and mine was Atim. Atim means a dog. And I was given that name because I protected my brothers and sisters. If they did something wrong, I, I, I'd go tell them, Dad's coming <laughs> or something. So my dad said, you were a protector. And, and still today, my niece and nephews, I've got lots of them, and they still come over, and they still phone me long distance. Auntie, what do you think? I, I say, you know what, you gotta go with your heart. But just remember, if you're married, ask your husband. Wait till the kids are in bed. Do not say things in front of the children that you will regret later. It's something you need to share together as a couple. So with that, I'll pass it on to you. <gasps> oh, you've got me crying. And I thought tonight I had something figured out, I would say. And you mentioned the children. And whenever, and if I had the tobacco, I would have to absorb the, the thing about this entire story is it's a huge narrative, a forever narrative. It's just, I've learned uh, through Michelle and these various talks and circles that the people more than 2,000 years ago would have been tending to their children, taking care of their children teaching them their ways, ceremonies, all age appropriate, and then to have colonizers come along and snap those children out of their environments. It's just, and it's happening like Michelle said today, to be raised up in, in families outside of your culture and everything that you know, familiar to you. So I just offer up the children. And I feel very, the only thing I want to share, I'll keep it short. I feel very empowered to be surrounded by each of you. And I thank you for being so honest <coughs> about your own journeys and how you identify because every time you tell your story and there's someone like me in a room it brings that head stuff and heart stuff together for me mm -hmm. and I assure you like the, the only thing I want to say tonight is I assure you that I will be bringing not your personal story, but what I've learned into my circle of friends, into my really agonizing family circle. Um, I will do everything I can to expand the knowledge of, of what these stories represent to 
to my circles. So thank you. Thanks very much. And yeah, I appreciate it. Well, and what you shared just before I pass this to you, <laughs> what you shared just blew me out of the water. And if I can somehow express empathy, I can't because I have no idea what that would be like to explore your family roots. The only touch I did, when I got to my Acadian ancestor, who was uh, Michel Haché, who was connected to an Esquimo, I'm going, why is his name there? Why does he have a birth date? Why does he have a death date? How do I know where he came from? And then this woman is acknowledged with one single word. I don't know her name. I don't know when she was born. I don't know where she was born. I don't know when she died, but she's on my family tree. And I'm going, why is that? And I'm listening to you sitting next to me in 2018, and your family tree is full of this secret, shame. And I'm going, why are you the person who has to bear all those question marks? Why are you that person? It just really is upsetting. And I will remember. And I thank you for being vulnerable. That's the thing, isn't it? I've learned over these years that that that's exactly what this whole deal does to me, is it makes me very uncomfortable, <laughs> even when I don't want to be. And it's at the mercy of the government. It's at the mercy of the adoptive people. And recently, in this last year, also at the mercy of the churches. Um, I wanted to say it the first time that I shared, um, <laughs> this is so crazy, I, I look at the Creator and I go, it's just, I don't know if you've got a twisted sense of humor or what it is up there, but the way He's worked my life out and the way that my different paths have crossed in front of me, my husband, I've been married to for, thank you, for, uh, well, we've been together for 23, going up 24 years this May. And he told me this at the very beginning of a relationship, but I had no clue what it meant until tonight in this room. His relatives, happens to be Louis Lorel. <laughs> That's his ancestry. 
<laughs> and I just find that so funny. Like, here I am, and him and I, we're like oil and fire. Like, we just, we get together and we clash, and it's like, <laughs> and both of us have got legit things to say. It's just, where does it come from? Where does that like come from within me? And where does it come from my husband, other than him being Hungarian? And yeah, that's the connection, is that Louis Riel story. And I don't know how much he's got to do with everything yet, but I'm going to learn, because it's got my intrigue going. But on a more serious note than that, you know, when I was talking with Michelle here a couple of days ago, um, to find out about this group, I really didn't know what I was going to come in and hear, and I didn't know what I was going to come and say. <laughs> I'm a person that wants to heal. I want to feel true healing within myself. And if that makes me a really selfish person, then I guess that's what I am. Because nobody's been here carrying me along giving me anything, nothing. I left that white home when I was 11 years old to move out onto the streets because it was so intolerable. Nobody walked with this journey with me. Nobody. Nobody got those beatings with me. This is my own personal journey my own personal life and I have so much that I'm not allowed to do because of who I am and to search for the, the truth and to look for the truth who's telling me the truth last year is the first time that I got to meet somebody out of my family out of my blood that was actually real and true to me. I met my grandmother some years back, my, my biological grandmother, but she had so many secrets that all she could do was scream and holler at me and tell me to get the heck away because of her secrets, because of the secrets of my grandfather, who happens to be my dad. Those kind of secrets, you know? And it's been going on so long in the family before I came along. My, my aunt, she killed herself over it because she couldn't handle it. And I see this government and <coughs> these rules and regulations, these policies and procedures, these laws that, that the government has created or made over these decades. This one lady said to me, we did the best we could. Yeah. And it's like, how can you say that? What is the best out of genocide? What is the best about taking a, a native baby and putting her with a white family that all they intend on doing is hating her? You know, there was warnings about this family, even. Paperwork letters given out to these people that had this decision in their hands about me. 
saying that this person, my dad was an alcoholic dad. My mom was whatever. And she hated everything about me. And I wanted a price. Not anybody else. And yeah, I understand when they died that that came to be in front of the Creator. What I choose to call God. And, uh, and it's in His hands, and I know that. But I'm the one down here feeling all this stuff inside of me, carrying around all this stuff. I pay a very huge personal price for this journey. And now I want to see the healing. Now that means that I have to start forgetting. And that's what it means. I don't know how to forget the Canadian government. I don't know how to forget the church. And I certainly don't know how to forgive the children's society that was involved with that. I don't know how to forgive them. I don't think that it should be I don't know how forgetting them, but them, you know, trying to say we're sorry to you, you know, and, and asking for your forgiveness and you know, I, I just I don't uh, I don't want you to leave here with a burden bigger than when you came oh, in the opposite. No. We wanna give you some healing here and uh, and resources. And actually we have a table full of resources. Um, now that we're connected, we have a sign-in sheet and we can, you know, continue conversations about what that healing journey can look like because I am lucky enough to be privileged to go through some, you know, local um, programs that they've had. Breaking Sweetgrass, we were part of the, the pilot project where I first was introduced to Edna. Um, and all the local elders. I, I got my name through a two-spirit elder and she has since passed away but you know she really got us into our ceremony and and we can bring that into you the whole point of what we're doing here is community building and because of the government policies and the 60 scoop and all of these awful things a lot of our people need that community and that is the point of doing this is that you know our indigenous reads book club our women's safety circle and we may have to now continue this circle from now on and just just have that community building and, and making sure you get the resources that you need to feel like you're healing. Just down the street is Awatan Parent Link and they have women uh, healing circles. The uh, Aboriginal Friendship Center has healing circles and elders and I'm not gonna let you leave without some sage. And you know, so I just don't want you to feel like you have too much that you have to carry. The opposite, you are now surrounded, we're your community. Mm -hmm. And we will always be in your community and we will help you through your path and your journey now. Thank so, you. yeah, no, thank you. Now, um, we're at 8.02, so I respectfully understand if we're over time for people. Um, I have a valuation form, so if you like the coffee and if you like this atmosphere, <laughs> I need you to tell me so that we can get funding. But I'm just going to give it to Darcy for some closing statements, I think. <clears throat> Well, I think for me, uh, you know, when I, I do this podcast, we talk a lot about the division of things. 
um, and both myself and my co-host, we're really big advocates of, of trying to bring people together. Um, and there's just a lot of roadblocks to that. There's a lot of division out there. And, you know, it, it, it's funny because you kind of get lost in it and you kind of get wrapped up in it. And you, yeah, you almost start to question, like, am, am I the crazy one that thinks, like, does this, is this not wrong to everybody? Um, but it's when you come down to, like, a community level, I always find when you sit with people in the community, that's where you get your real answers. And just sitting here tonight, it's like, it's, it's like a re-inspiration to continue to do some of the things I'm doing. Um, just because, you know, I, I hear everybody talking about being inclusive and being together and being a community and building bridges and, and you know, healing and helping each other heal. And, and that's, that's what um, I think we're, we're all looking for, um, whether you're Métis or First Nation or, or other. Um, so I just really want to say thank you to everybody because it's, it's been a real inspiration for me to hear all these words tonight, uh, especially when you're out there in the world and there's so much negativity that can come at you and there's so much fighting to happen that, that goes on. Um, you know, we got uh, people who don't like cards, people who do, people who are, you know, red river only, people who aren't. And then, but there's, that's just only, that's like the top of the level of, of where all this division comes from. And, um, you know, I see a lot of division between Métis and First Nations, and I see a lot of, and, and it's, it all boils down to the government has created these systems to, to perpetuate that. And then they get to sit back and watch everybody fight. Yeah. And so it's when you come down to community, yes, yeah, money. But it's when you get in a community like this, when you have conversations like this, and, and that's what I really loved about tonight, was just hearing everybody speak. Um, for you, there is uh, a lady I know in Victoria is trying to organize um, a gathering here in Alberta of 60 scoop survivors in Red Deer, the Red Deer area, because it's kind of central. Um, so I'll try to, through Michelle, get you any information I have on that. And that's not government or anybody, it's just the survivors getting together. So that might be helpful too. Um, I think we all kind of spoke from the heart here. And I'm really grateful for that. If you did need some tobacco, we still have tobacco, and we can still let one more smudge if anybody would like. And um, yeah, we we spoke from the heart, but I, on the actual Facebook page, I have all the head stuff, the intellectual. Hey, here's some definitions of structural racism and internalized racism, and lots of tools and links and information to help you um, feel empowered about talking about racism and feel empowered about knowing what it is you're feeling and, and putting that into, hey, here's the intellectual words I can use to talk about these issues when speaking to other people. And those those are public, those are for everyone. You're welcome to use them, utilize them as you wish. And I think there's a lot of movement to do anti-oppressive, anti-racism work. So uh, by no means, like that's just a, a start. There's tons of stuff out there. And uh, if you ever have anything that you want to share or, or whichever, you can throw it on this Facebook wall anytime because we're all following it. And there are other people following this conversation, wishing they were here. Sorry, guys, couldn't be here. <laughs> They're going to listen to this next week and, uh, you know, and hopefully post within there. So I just want you to feel like, you know, you do have a community. We are going to continue getting together in different ways, whether it's through a book club or safety circle, focus on safety, all these other wonderful things. So, you know, don't hesitate to stay in contact with anyone here. So, my last request, eat food, 
have some coffee and tea, but for sure fill out those evaluation foods, or out evaluation forms, otherwise I can't do this. So thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for letting me record you. Oh, I changed my mind. <laughs>Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I want to send a huge thank you to everybody that took part and for everybody that was there to share with the group and with now all of us that are listening to The Jig Is Up. And you shared from your heart and that has a lot of meaning and a lot of uh, impact on me personally. I walked away from that conversation um, a better person and a stronger person and, and it gave me more inspiration to continue to do all of the things that I'm doing in my life. Um, so I, I can't say thank you enough to everybody. I also want to say thank you to 12 Community Safety Initiative, uh, a local organization here in Calgary that was willing to allow us into their space and use their boardroom and because it was greatly appreciated. And I want to thank all of you guys for listening, and I want to thank all of you for you know sticking with it for the whole podcast and, and really really listening to what was said. I think these are important words that were being said in that in that conversation. I also want to remind everybody one last thing before I let you go. Uh, we do have a patron account now, and this patron account is so that we can grow the show and, and really get out into communities and start bringing you stories um, from communities, community members, elders, um, and, and it, it, it's going to allow us a little bit more freedom that way. We want to bring these story, stories to you, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, and so if you can just go to the Patreon account, if you do a Google search for the Jig Is Up podcast, click on the first one that comes up, and then click on the Patreon account button, or go to our Facebook page and check it out there. Uh, the shop button on our Facebook page will take you right there. And, you know, you can pledge as little as a dollar a month, but don't think that that doesn't help. That is an incredible help to us. Uh, for everybody that donates, I want to, you know, say a thank you, preemptive thank you. Uh, but I really encourage that. We already have an episode published for our patrons only, uh, and, and that's kind of the special content reward that you're going to get. And that's an interview with uh, Dr. Sebastian Millette. And we're going to be bringing more content like that to, to those that uh, are willing and to honor us by donating monthly and, and helping us grow the show and making it really become something. Um, so again, I appreciate that and I encourage you guys to check that out and I hope that you guys can carry this through for the next week, the, the words that were said and the inspiration you got from that. And until next week, I hope you guys have a great week. I can't wait to be back next week with Jason and we'll be ranting and raving like normal. And until that time, go be a great ancestor. And for now, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses. A fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. 